phrase, you can't win them all, comes to mind after a game like tonight. Here we are. Again, a post-game podcast for you after the 4-1 loss to the St. Louis Blues. This is Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast, presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Derez. With me, Arif Dean. Of course, this is how we do these home podcasts um, following every game. This is the first one we've had to do following a loss. Interesting stuff tonight, um, but... Eric, it definitely felt that the Avalanche, this was a scenario where they beat themselves. I mean, of course, credit to St. Louis. They played a great game, but I don't feel like St. Louis won this game as much as I feel that Colorado lost it for themselves. I, I think it's a little bit of both, and I think that it's, it's good for the Avalanche that you feel this way because let's look at game one. Let's pretend that we were covering the other team. We would have came here and we would have said, I don't think the Avalanche won game one. I think the Blues just had a bad night. And the reality is, the Avalanche were on fire in game one. They had their jump, their step. They were incredible. And the Blues were everything but that. Adjustments were made. Series in the playoffs are like a chess match. St. Louis made their move. They've checked the Avalanche. Now it's their turn to make their move. And that's what we saw tonight. We saw the Blues come out strong. We saw them adjust to what went wrong in game one. They kept the Avs to the outside. They didn't let the Avs get many shots, and when they did, they weren't on net. And the Avalanche had a terrible, terrible game, and now they're, it's their turn to make the adjustments going into game three. Yeah, let's get into that a little bit. Uh, Barubi definitely rolling the dice a little bit by changing the line, the line so drastically from game one, right? Really shuffled up pretty much every single one. I guess how much credit do you give those adjustments for the win here? And again, how much of it do you point the finger at the abs just simply not having it tonight i don't necessarily believe that changing lines are the thing as much as just the way that the blues played so st louis did an exceptional job of kind of keeping the avalanche to the perimeter in the offensive zone and something you just pointed out the avalanche only had five shots that were blocked so what i see there is you know the abs obviously they had 32 shots on or sorry the the uh Oh, I'm sorry. I'm reading the score sheet wrong here. It looks like the Blues only had five shots blocked. So going to the Avalanche, like I was saying, they had 31 shots on goal. They had another 29 that they tried to put on target that were kept away from the net. They missed the net 11 times, which is a big number. And they had another 18 that were blocked. So the Blues kept the ass to the perimeter. And when the Avalanche tried to get the puck on goal, they just couldn't do it. And what we saw on the Blues side was a team that was opportunistic once again. 32 shots on goal, so they technically had the more shots in the game, but they only had 14 shots that missed the net. Five that were blocked and nine that missed the net completely. They were opportunistic. They made the most of the chances that they had and the time that they controlled the puck. The Avalanche on the other side weren't able to do the same thing. They couldn't do much with the puck when they had it. They would cycle in the offensive zone, shoot it away, get it blocked, counter opportunity the other way. So St. Louis did an exceptional job of keeping the Avalanche to the perimeter. And when the Avs had chances, they just didn't look dangerous. So 31 shots, it didn't feel like a tough 31 shots for Jordan Bennington, and that's credit to the Blues and the style of play they had. Yeah, I mean, for the Avalanche, shots were down. At least shots on goal were down. Hits were down. Face-off win percentage was down. I mean, overall, just a really off night. Again, I know we want to credit the St. Louis Blues, and they made some adjustments, and they played a tougher game than they did in game one but i just see the avalanche dropping the ball on this one and it's gonna happen right i mean the avalanche won five games in a row heading into the night you're gonna lose one here and there i mean as long as they get right back on the horse i think everything's gonna be okay so i guess this is the first time we've really seen them face adversity in a long time how do you think they react from here how do you expect them to react how do you 
I guess, yeah, how do you expect them to react versus how do you want them to react, I assume, is the same thing. Who spoke to us following the loss? We saw Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen. Who usually speaks to us following the loss? Gabe Landeskog. I'm going to do the media thing, and I'm going to create a narrative here. So here it goes. Nathan McKinnon asked to speak to the media today. You want to know why? Why? Because Nathan McKinnon takes losses a lot harder than a lot of other people. We see him go at media all the time. We see him get really, really down in the dumps when he <laughs> loses a game. We saw him speak. Well, if you did listen to him speak to Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman after training camp last year, he talks openly about how he sees a sports, sports psychiatrist, I should say, a sports psychologist. He does all of that stuff. He's trying to work on his mental health in the game and not taking the, the lows very low and the highs very high. Mm -hmm. And this is a guy that following the first bit of adversity they faced last year against Vegas, he got down on himself and he couldn't get back up. No goals in games two, three, in games three, four, five, or six against the Golden Knights. Nathan McKinnon, in my opinion, I have no way to prove this. Maybe if they win the Stanley Cup one day, I can ask him. Maybe if they do it this year, he'll actually be honest and answer the question. But I genuinely, in the heart of hearts, for whatever reason, and I'm doing the media narrative thing, believe Nathan McKinnon asked to speak to media and said, I'll take this one, looked at 92 and said, you sit this one out, I'll take care of it. Came out and did something that he never does after losses. He gave eloquent answers, great responses. He was very honest and open about the game. He did the very thing that Gabe Landeskog always gives us and why coming out of the COVID pause, me, two, three, four other media members all went out of our way to basically go to Landeskog and thank him for all of the amazing interviews that he had during COVID on, on Zoom and you know, basically, Thank him for being a great captain. Thank him for coming out and answering the tough questions. Nathan McGinnon did that today. So how is it different from last year? How is the mindset different? That's step one. Well, you heard it right out of his mouth today too as well, right? He said, you know, in the past we'd get down on ourselves or we'd get down on each other. And I thought that part where he said we'd get down on each other was a really key phrase because he's yes. talking about himself. He's 100%. pointing the finger at himself there. And you're right, he was a lot more animated than we're seeing him used to, right? Especially after a loss. He had a lot more vibrancy to him, a lot more energy. Trying to stay positive, trying to keep that uh, negativity out of the room. And I think, you know, I don't know if somebody discussed this with him, but um, I think you've actively seen him keep a positive attitude, keep that even-kill mindset. I mean, even in the wins in Nashville, he was staying very even. In this loss tonight, he's staying very even. So, um, you know, as somebody who struggles to be positive, like I know Nathan McKinnon does as well, he's doing a really good job of, of keeping it positive, yeah. right? And I can see him actively trying extra hard and putting that extra effort for his teammates, right? He's not doing it for himself. He's not doing it for any outside factors. He's doing it for the guys in the locker room because he just wants to keep the right energies going within that dressing room. Well, it goes back to the first round, and, and you just kind of you nailed the you nailed it on the head there by saying that again. So Nathan, obviously, like you said, he 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 struggles to find positivity in, in moments when you're down, and and when you lose a game of hockey in Europe, or when you lose a sporting a game, and you're a professional athlete, you're down. And what we saw here from Nathan McKinnon was a guy that obviously was able to you know, face that adversity, face that moment when you are not feeling up to it and, and answer questions about it. But going back to the first round, he struggles with the other side too. He gets high, he gets too high with the highs. He takes them a little bit too strongly and then when the lows hit, he, he falters. He falls right down the stairs, backwards, head first, just, just 
zero chance of stopping himself and i can relate to be honest that's yeah. why i'm laughing here so that's the thing in the first round against the st louis blues last year he had eight goals mm -hmm. he comes out against the vegas golden knights in game one he scores a couple more maybe it was a hat trick i forget game two he gets shut down the avalanche get outplayed they get the winner in overtime game three they get shut down they lose game four they get shut down they lose game five they get shut down they lose game six they get shut down they lose as soon as that adversity hit he was on this high he got knocked down and he couldn't get back up so he found a way in the first round to keep it even killed he's finding a way here to keep it even killed and again maybe i'm thinking too much into this but that was a different nathan mckinnon that wasn't the nathan mckinnon that two years ago when they lost to dallas i'll never forget this they lost game seven at dallas it was like four or five in the afternoon it was an early game and i said nathan what did you see there on the overtime game winning goal and before i can even finish the question he said you saw the replay don't ask me for my reaction go watch it yourself and this was a different person i have no hard feelings against yeah, McKinnon. He absolutely was, I, he was fired up after game seven mm -hmm. you've seen me you've seen me when i lose things i do that with cussing so i would be the exact same way so i got no hard feelings against him but what we saw today was growth and leadership and that's why i tweeted what i tweeted as soon as i saw it peter baugh mentioned how mckinnon was very composed in this postgame presser he didn't shy away from saying the team played poorly and he seemed confident the team will get back on track that's the key word he was confident and he said we're not going to sweep every round and i commented on that and i chimed in saying that leadership he, he basically provided leadership from a guy with an a on his jersey it wasn't landis Gog speaking after a loss it was nathan mckinnon and, and and i genuinely believe that that this was something that he wanted to do it kind of felt like i mean throughout the game right because these problems that they have saw that it, it was from the get-go you saw it in the first period you saw it in the second period they minimized it a little bit in the third period but it was still there i feel like um Perhaps they accepted early on in this game just what you said. They're not going to sweep every game. Perhaps here's a loss. Finally saw one at home. Let's put this behind us and move on. They still did fight back in that game. But the, the continuous problems and the continuous errors that we saw throughout the game kind of gave me the vibe that they just maybe w counted it as a wash and said, let's move on and start thinking about game three. Yeah, but you also don't want to go too far to the other way. So you don't want to react poorly to every single loss and, and take it to an extreme, but you also don't want to sit there and be like, no, we're good, we'll just bounce back. You gotta find that middle ground, and this goes back to what you and I have been talking about since I fucking moved here. <laughs> Jared Bednar lost a coaching battle to Jared Bednar in 2019. He lost a coaching battle to Rick Bonus in 2020. He lost a coaching battle to, to uh, Pete DeBoer in 2021. And here we are in 2022, he's facing off with Craig Berube in the second round. You can't just wash this away. And he was very clear that that's not gonna be the case. He was very clear that we're gonna watch video. We're gonna sleep on it. We're gonna wake up. We're gonna sleep on it a second time. And then we're gonna make decisions for the lineup. He was very clear on something that he's been very clear on since the playoffs began, that there are guys that are sitting on the outside looking in and he is going to use them all. We're talking Logan O'Connor, who has made his way into the lineup. We're talking uh, Alex Newhook, who has not yet. And we're talking a couple of veteran defensemen and Jack Johnson and Ryan Murray and also kind of Curtis McDermott, no matter what position you want to put him in. The Avalanche are going to need to use all these guys. Maybe not McDermott unless you need him for a certain role. But Jared was very open in saying that there are some decisions that need to be made and and you know you don't want to go overboard and just kind of completely put it in the blender and go nuts mm -hmm. but you can't just look at this game it's kind of the question that i asked to him the or to nathan mckinnon it was just the idea that can you just wash this away or is there something to adjust from this and it's absolutely there's an adjustment it's a chess match baruby made those adjustments it's jared's turn to do it it's the avalanche's turn to do it again 
kind of go into my point from the start of the podcast. You look at last year's playoffs when they started to crumble, and they just looked defeated. They looked beat. They looked like they didn't have answers for what Vegas were throwing at them. The problem we saw tonight, a very fixable problem, right? It was just effort from the players that I think they can easily pick themselves up by the bootstraps, bring their A game uh, for games three and four, and adjust the ship by themselves, right? It's nothing structurally. It's nothing in terms of matchups that they're getting outplayed. It's a very easy problem to uh, render here. Absolutely. And it's not just the fact that it's an easy problem to solve. And it's not just the fact that, um, you know, they couldn't figure out a way to solve the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, quite frankly, they could have figured out a way to solve the Golden Knights. You want to know how that is? Play better. <laughs> like, I'm not a coach. I'm not the one drawing up the game plans. We can only assess what we saw. And what we saw from the Avalanche was a defeated team that had no answers. The most important thing I saw tonight wasn't the fact that the errors they made were fixable, because that was the same thing last year. How many times do you see Sam Gerrard play as bad as he did against Vegas last year? And the turnovers, and Nathan McKinnon getting shut down for four straight games, and Kale McCarr, and Devontae's, and nobody having an answer. You don't see that very often. The difference that I saw tonight isn't the fact that the, the, the things they did on the ice was, was something that you can fix. It was the fact that they have the mindset to know there is something we can fix. That is the most important thing. And I know it sounds silly, but this is something that we always, always, always forget. And, and people sometimes say we, we take it overboard when we talk about these things. But there's a mental aspect to the game that is a large part of the game. NHL athletes, NHL players, professional athletes are not characters on EA Sports. Nathan McKinnon is not a 97 overall that's going to come out and play a 97 overall. You don't turn on an EA Sports game and be like, oh, damn it, this great centerman doesn't have his legs today. I guess it's going to suck. Let me quit the game and start a new one. doesn't work like that. There's a mental human element to this, and the Avalanche having that belief that they can come back and fix this is 90% of the problem. This isn't a team that's last in the NHL playing the Tampa Bay Lightning, thinking to themselves, how do we beat this team? We believe we can, so we will. No, you won't, Arizona. But, but the Avalanche are a good team. They know that they can do it. They did it in game one, and just having that belief, in my opinion, is, is most of the issue. Just interesting that the Avalanche, I guess, I don't want to call it fell apart, but they just had a bad night tonight in unison, right? It wasn't a guy here, a guy there. It was the entire group kind of falling apart. And, I mean, when most of the people on Twitter, most people watching the game are saying, is the ice okay? Are these ice problems? I mean, it's yeah. not a good look on the team. Some but Peter Ball even asked. Right, and, and they said, no, there was nothing wrong with the ice. Everything was fine. We just didn't play well. So, um, again, having them all not play well, I guess, is an interesting thing because obviously I think there's a, a mindset or something went wrong within the team as a whole, right? There's not specific parts you have to detail. There's not... Anything you have to break down too much, you just got to simply say the, the group as a whole has to be better, simply put. That's absolutely it. And, and I want to kind of pinpoint one person in particular who was the MVP of the first round. And take a wild guess. Kale McCarr. Thank you. Kale McCarr hasn't had the best series. Um, it, was a very, it was apparent tonight for sure, but even game one, he wasn't at his best. Obviously, I'm not just talking about his offensive production. He has zero points in two games, uh, which is hilarious because he still has 10 points in six playoff games. That's how good he was against Nashville. But um, he's struggling with one Ryan O'Reilly. We saw it in game one, the puck that Plinko to O'Reilly. That was a bad turnover from, from Kale McCarr. We saw him have a bad turnover here with that miscommunication with Andre Burakovsky that led to the 3-1 goal, ultimately the goal that put it away. But there were far too many plays where when he's being pressured by a forecheck of a relentless number 90, the guy that we know that can do it that way, 
he is struggling with him. And I think that that's something that uh, needs to be worked on. I don't know if you change up the pairings a little bit, change up the, not the pairings, but the matchups. You have Devon Taves involved a little bit. You have Kale McCarr just maybe not being his own head, but you know, Nathan McKinnon said it, Ryan, Ryan O'Reilly's won a Selkie and he's done it for a reason. He talked about how he was a tough, uh, a tough guy to play against here because they've been matched up pretty much this entire series so far and uh, voluntarily by Jared Bender because he's the home home coach. He gets the last change in games one and two and he wanted McKinnon up against O'Reilly. McKinnon won in game one, O'Reilly won in game two. And Kale McCarr is struggling with number 90 and that's something that obviously needs to be fixed. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of unforced errors out of Kale McCarr, which is something we don't normally see. We're seeing mental errors out of Kale McCarr. And I think after game one, when you saw him, you're like, all right, you're allowed to have a bad game. After game two, you got to start to read into it a little bit and I like what you're saying there it's it's not so much Kale McCarr making the errors here but rather the people who are you know playing defense on him and forcing those errors a little bit but there are some mental lapses and some just I guess unforced errors coming out of Kale McCarr so I think it's a good combination of the both but um, to really get out of it he just got to stay on the ice right keep keep practicing keep thinking the right thing th- keep thinking positively like you know Nathan McKinnon is promoting right now keep playing him you're not taking away his ice time. yeah exactly he's, absolutely he's gonna have to get himself out of it but yeah Caleb McCarr held pointless tonight had nothing game one Nathan McKinnon stayed off the score she at least didn't get a goal in either game so two games in a row with no goals from Caleb McCarr or Nathan McKinnon you still got Miko Rantanen waiting in the shadows to really get activated. So, um, you know, there's still another level, I think, this Colorado Avalanche team can bring to the series. Yeah, I mean, they've put 85 shots on Jordan Bennington. He has stopped 81 of them. The goals have come from, let me see if I can remember this, Val Nachushkin, Josh Manson, Samuel Gerard, and Gabe Landeskog on the power play from Landeskog. So not an even strength goal. So your three even strength goals came from two defensemen and, and Val Nachushkin, because I believe all three of the ones in game one were at uh, even strength. So Jordan Bennington is sporting a very shiny 953 save percentage. That's got to be stopped. And how is that going to be stopped? Your top guy's got to find the score sheet. That's the reality. The Avalanche, it's crazy how how one play, one goal, one one little bit of a change. Or one five on three. One five on three <laughs> alters an entire series. One thing can alter an entire series. No five on three. It's 1-1, it's late in the third period. Maybe the Avalanche and the Blues are going to overtime. Take it back to game one. Avalanche gave up a lead late, went to overtime. Flip a coin in overtime. St. Louis Blues win that overtime. You're going back to St. Louis losing both of your games at home. So it is a game of inches, it is a game of seconds, it is a game of bounces, and, and, and one can be the difference between a win and a loss. And we saw that in game one in overtime, even though the Avalanche outplayed them. We saw that here as the Avalanche started to gain momentum, the Landeskog goal, the crowd was in it, everybody was having a great time. And then the breakdown there with Burakovsky and Makar. Uh, Makar pinched Burakovsky with uh, just miscommunication between both guys, and Jared Bender said he's not placing the blame on either one. It's just, you can't turn the puck over where they did. David Perron makes it three to one game over. So now you got to go to St. Louis. you got to do the same thing there and flip the script on them as well. Let's back up to the goalie conversation. Uh, you brought up Bennington's save percentage. Of course, he's seen a lot of rubber so far in this series. Definitely had a better game two than he had game one. But let's look at the guy across the ice from him and Darcy Kemper. Would you say at this point in the series, after game two, as we sit 1-1, that Jordan Bennington is outplaying Darcy Kemper right now? Uh, the easy answer is yes. The tougher answer is Kemper just hasn't faced as many shots. He's faced 56. That's 29 fewer shots. Like, that's an entire fucking game of shots. 
So, of course, you know, it's easy to say Bennington has done, has done better. Uh, Kemper has surrendered five goals in two games, facing 56 shots. The other guy has surrendered four goals in two games, facing 85 shots. So it's easy to say Bennington. Uh, the reality is Kemper has given up one bad goal in the series, and it was the last one, David Perron. Uh, that's, that's the reality, in my opinion. He was locked in today from the start. Uh, just like the Vegas goal, Jesus, just like the St. Louis Blues could have been down 5-1, 6-1 after 40 minutes in game one, the Avalanche could have been down 3 or 4 nothing after game one, after the first period of game two. Darcy Kemper held his own. He was making some incredible saves from the opening draw. He had those three right away, that hat trick of saves in the first minute or two of the game that got the crowd into it. Uh, he was locked in. He was swallowing pucks, not letting in a lot of rebounds. The goal of David Perron was not a good one, the second Perron goal, I should say. Um, but I would say it's a wash right now just because Kemper hasn't faced what Bennington has faced, but Bennington has done a better job of stopping it. But, like, at the same time, the goaltending hasn't been the difference in the series. That's what I was going to say. It's, it's, it's the reality is the game where Bennington padded his stats with a whole shit ton of saves, they lost. And tonight, Bennington didn't face a lot of dangerous opportunities. He wasn't the reason that they won tonight, yeah. and he wasn't the reason that they got to overtime in game one. So exactly. I think that fact is something you can really rest your hat on, that, you know, he's he hasn't been the X factor. He hasn't been... Um, the reason that they're winning whatsoever. I would say I would say in game one he was the reason why they got to overtime because as we said in game one Bennington in the first half of the game had a lot of luck mm -hmm. posts and the avalanche just flubbing opportunities but that's luck yeah that's luck there was a lot of luck there in the first half but the second half of the game he did make some nice saves late in the second period early in the third period late in the third period Bennington did make some nice saves he got the game to overtime but guess what he didn't finish the job so the game where Bennington played a large portion of why he has a 9.53 save percentage uh, was a game they lost and there is no overtime loss point there is no uh, uh you know consolation yeah there's no consolation like there is in the regular season i should say uh in the playoffs it's a winner or loss and they lost that game and tonight he didn't face a lot of tough shots and he wasn't the reason why they won it was because the avalanche just didn't have it there weren't many 10 bell saves that you saw from Benji. you're like yeah. damn the avalanche could have been in the game if it wasn't for that one right obviously had an impact but i wouldn't say he was the yeah. X factor so, or even one of the biggest factors. 100%. So in, in, in the sense of the goaltending, uh, neither goaltender on either side has won or lost the series for either team. Neither team should be going into game three thinking, do we have an issue? Should we uh, change up the goaltending? Nor should they say, God, our goalie has saved our bacon. Um, interesting officiating tonight. I wouldn't say they were bad. I wouldn't say they were good. However, you know, you made it a point in the post-game press conference to ask both the coaches and the players about the officiating tonight. So I guess give me your take on uh, the role the officiating played in tonight's loss. I think the uh, penalty called their leaf blowers back. That's our, hey, our Mr. gentleman leaf blower. from the first round. Uh, he was on the other side of the arena when we started, and I think we just couldn't beat it in time. He's but, buzzing uh, around. Yeah, he's over here at section 331 right below us now. Perfect time <laughs> to start wrapping it up, yeah, I guess. Shout out leaf blower guy. <laughs> Don't miss ya. Um, back to the question. So I... I didn't like the call on Val Nichushkin. I was very open about it when I tweeted it. Uh, I kind of saw what Nathan McKinnon saw, and it was a guy that didn't try to go into Bennington and actually went around him. He ended up behind the net, like, like Nathan McKinnon kind of explained. He didn't go through Bennington, and that's because him and Justin Falk were tied up. And, and McKinnon made a point to say that I thought the rule was as long as you make an effort to get away, then you're not going to get the penalty. And I genuinely believe Val made an effort to get away because here's the reality. You know, I'm going to go back to the weird conspiracy theory that some people had about the first round with Ryan Johansson when they said, 
oh johansson as soon as he had that stick in in kemper's mask like he knew it was freaking there he put he leaned into it and he really wanted to make the eye out and all that bullshit it was all stupid and it was obviously false uh the reality is this is a little bit different when a player is going into the goalie and you got nowhere to go but into the goalie you may as well make the best of it Val didn't make the best of it. And I know that sounds fucked up, but it's a reality in this sport. So make it count is what you're make saying. Make it count. <laughs> Val didn't do that. He truly, to the heart of hearts, looked like he was trying to avoid it. Him and Falk were tied up. You could have called a holding penalty on either one of those guys. Um, so that's the way that I saw it. Jared Bednar saw it the same but different in the sense where the guys were tied up. You have to make an effort to get out of the way. And he nicked him, which he did. He absolutely nicked Bennington. He knocked him on his ass and ended up behind the net. Uh, so I wanted to make an effort to ask about this and I wanted to see what they thought, but I didn't want it to overshadow the fact that the Avalanche played bad. I didn't want it to overshadow the fact that this isn't why they lost and I'm not over here trying to sit there in the media room and trying to get them all riled up to Jared Bednar and to Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, that the refs screwed you. That's absolutely not the case. And McKinnon, being the leader that he is, being the different person he was today, even made an effort to say that that's not why we lost. The refs aren't the reason why we lost. We sucked. Blah, 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 blah. But I didn't like the call. Yeah, I think, and that's the fairest way you can put it. Absolutely. Very diplomatic, but also very honest. That's exactly how I would have put it today. Um, I guess looking forward, let's look ahead at game number three, which will be Saturday night, 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. How do the Avalanche come out for that one? Uh, do they adjust to the adjustments that we saw from St. Louis today, or do they stick to their game and just keep playing the same structure, same game plan that they probably play game one, game two, and perhaps game three? Well, first of all, it's mountain daylight time because you know it's past daylight savings right now, so it's MDT there, JJ. Is that Perez. a fact? I that is, I that never, is a thing. never learned it. <laughs> so it's not mountain standard time? Mountain standard is, is before daylight savings and the clocks get pushed really? in, in March. Yeah, so oh, it's, interesting. M, it's MDT. If you see MST, MDT, this is mountain daylight time. You learn something new every day. Thank you for that. that. I, yeah, like, I like course, learning. Of course, I'm a nerd. <laughs> uh, secondly, in terms of that, it goes back to the exact point that I was saying that um, the Avalanche do have to make some changes. Not to the lineup, but they have to adjust their gameplay. Again, Jared Bednar has been outcoached in the second round series in the past. Leaf Blower is literally right below us right now. Um, but the Avalanche do have to make some changes. They can't come into this, like I was saying earlier, and just say we're good and do it the same way that they were in games one and two. Mm -hmm. They have to change something. Craig Berube made his move. Rook to F9. Check. Now it's Jared's turn to check him back. Wow, we're already getting into check. That's late in the that's late that. in the game. Moves are being made. Um, Pawn to B four. Check. <laughs> no. Let's uh look at the, the looking at the end of the game. Right, there was a couple whistles there with like the last thirty seconds or so. Perfect time for people to start gunning it up. Nobody really started to. The St. Louis Blues kind of tried to push the Avalanche into it a little bit. Saw Kadri, John with somebody. Saw Gabe Landeskog, Miko Rantan, all the usuals. Do you expect any of that to spill over? Just Does the physicality pick up a little bit as we head to St. Louis, as we've seen it actually dip down in the last couple games? And it was the same thing in the Nashville series. The reality is, in, in, in the playoffs, every series starts off strong with the physicality, and then the rest of it cannot be manufactured. Is there any reason why any of these teams should be pissed off at each other right now? No. The two teams going out playing hard-fought hockey, good, tight-checking mm -hmm. hockey. One no team nonsense. Won, one team won the first game, the other team won the second game. Yep. You cannot manufacture this stuff. 
Maybe if Nazem Kadri, you know, last year hits Justin Falk in game two, that's a reason why both teams are pissed off at each other. That's the reason why the after the whistle stuff picks up. You cannot manufacture it. The series starts physical, and if something comes of that, something comes of that. But you can't stage it. You can't manufacture it. There was no reason for the Avalanche to goon it up, and I think it's stupid. If, you know, Darcy Kemper got run four or five, which he did a couple times, but it wasn't like a crazy clear run. If Kalakar was checked face first into the boards and knocked out of the game in the second period and you're late in the game and you're Landeskog and you're Rantanen and you're, I don't know, Kadri or these guys are on the ice at the end saying, we're going to send a freaking message that you don't do that to Kale. That's the time to do it. But you cannot manufacture it. There was no reason for them to do that. And quite frankly, I think it's stupid when you do it when you're in that position because you just look like a sore loser. You're not sending a message for the next game. We saw the National Predators try to send a message for the next game and they got swept. In the most one-sided series we've seen in the post-lockout era of 0405. So I don't think that the Avalanche needed to do that unless it was something that was, you know, just part of the emotion and the heat of the game. And it's not something you can manufacture, and there was no reason to. Yeah, I agree. And Jared Bednar doesn't play those games, right? And 100%. What's the message? What's the mindset of this team right now? It's even keel. Yeah. There's one way to not be even keel. It's to let you let them get under your skin that way. So... I expect a fully composed, fully refocused, and uh, more effort out of the Avalanche in Game 3 for sure. 100%. And I just kind of want to point out a couple of tweets that I've been getting since we started. Um, it's very obvious that Jared Bender was out coaching this game. He's the one that had the upper hand. Craig Berube was on the attack in Game 2, and he attacked well. Well, now Jared's on the attack. I understand that. But can we please stop rolling our eyes and getting annoyed that Jared Bednar doesn't come into the media and rip people. He doesn't need to do that. He does it with his players. I would freaking love for him to do that. The one time I saw Jared Bednar on this very ice snap at his players was July 2020. The return to play practice right before they went to Edmonton to play in the bubble. Jared Bednar spoke at center ice. Talking about golf season, right? <laughs> raged at his players like the second or third practice and said do i make myself clear does anyone disagree does anyone disagree and i posted a video of this mm -hmm. and i posted it online and it went viral he doesn't need to do that in front of our faces for him to for for us and for fans to know that jared bender is doing his job if he wasn't doing his job he wouldn't still be here if he wasn't doing his job he wouldn't be coaching the team that won the president's trophy last year and was the top team in the west this year so for everybody that says that these Bednar comments roll my eyes when he says we got outworked, it makes everything more difficult. He's being honest. They got outworked. He's not going to come out there and be like, ah, bah, 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 bah. they just scream into the, the, the sky. He was honest, and, and I respect him for that, and, and there's no reason for him to, to get all over crazy in the media. Right. I mean, we started this podcast talking about the positive energies that they're kind of trying to spread across that room, and that would definitely... Harsh the buzz, man. And Jared Bednar's really trying <laughs> yeah. to remain chill here. They know, they know there's work that needs to be done. We're not sitting here acting like the avalanche came into the media kind of like, ha we're good, we're fine. Right. Um, you know, I, I saw a lot over the last couple of days, obviously. You know, recently the Toronto Maple Leafs lost in the first round for the sixth consecutive year. And uh, Brendan Shanahan was asked about the coach and the GM and if they're going to come back. And he laughed it off. Kind of like, yeah, of course they're coming back. Why would you even ask that kind of vibe? Where it's like, what do you mean, why would you ask that? They've lost six years in a row. So this wasn't that kind of case. The Avalanche didn't come into the media room and just laugh off the fact that, you know, they lost and were outworked and they out were outplayed. They were very clear in pointing out the mishaps that they had and the fact that they didn't have their legs and they didn't look good. 
but they also mean business. So they're not coming here with positive energy, positive vibes, everyone. We got this. No, it's they know that work needs to be done and they're going to get that work done. Yeah, just brushing it off and, and moving on, right? That's all you can do. Of course. It's, it's so cliche, but the short-term memory, that was thrown around a couple times in the post-game press conference, right? And that's exactly what it's got to be here. I mean, the Avalanche definitely have the better players. They have the skill to get it done. So just got to put it behind them and uh, get back to work. It's not going to be as easy as maybe they thought going into tonight. And look at that. They lose their first game and we go longer than the win. So that's just another sign to say that we are always harder on the losses than we are on the wins. And mm -hmm. that's just the nature of the beast of being a, working in this job and just being a sports fan, which is why I get a lot more tweets after losses than wins. That's the reality. But it's a 1-1 series. Each team's going to have five more chances to end this thing. Uh, nothing to be worried about yet. Yeah, I got to stop riding the highs and riding the lows and be more like Nathan McKinnon and get my cheese centered as well. <laughs> get things going. Um, but yeah, that's it for uh, today's edition of the podcast. We'll get things, uh, I guess, prepared for the road plan that we're going to execute here for our podcast. Yeah. Um, I guess closing thoughts before we head into game three on Saturday night here. Yeah, I hope you guys get a chance to listen to this Thursday night because Friday afternoon I'm going to release a really, really cool interview that I did today earlier uh, before game two with Steve Mayer who works for the NHL. He's the executive uh, vice president and uh, content chief officer for the NHL. Uh, I'm so glad I memorized that title because I was about to wing the hell out of it <laughs> and I got it right to the T. Uh, Steve Mayer uh, is the producer of the ESPN Quest for the Cup docuseries that's going to involve the Avalanche. He spoke highly of Josh Manson, as you and I have and the rest of the media has for the last two months, talking to him and, and hearing the cool things about him and talking about his cameramen that are here at Ball Arena and have been for the last two games, recording behind-the-scenes looks in the locker room and shots on the ice for this docuseries that starts May 27th on ESPN Plus every Friday uh, for the next four to six weeks, I believe it is, or eight weeks. I forget how many episodes. So we talked about that. We also talked about the fact that this guy was paramount in, you know, bringing the stadium series to the Air Force Academy. He was paramount in the Avalanche partaking in the Lake Tahoe outdoor game last year. And most importantly, he was a big proponent and a big driver of getting the bubbles set up for the return of play in 2020. So we had a long, very long and fun conversation. It was almost an hour and I, I only asked for 30 minutes of his time, but it was a hell of an exclusive and you guys gotta listen to this. It's such an incredible interview. Right on, right on. And of course, don't forget about our friends over at Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. They've got curbside. Recipes for you to drink. They've got curbside pickup, they've got delivery and they've got online wine education classes. So check them out if you haven't already. Um, other than that, you know, let's uh, stay positive. Let's stay even keel out there like everybody else, right? That's the message here. The fans should follow suit. So, um, yeah, enjoy game three. We'll be back to break some stuff down throughout the weekend. Um, and, uh, yeah, thanks for hanging out with us. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless that pretty little heart of yours. Let's make hockey for everyone. And we out you. Hey, baby, no, I say, why was the reason for?